Hey everyone, welcome back to Winning as Women, where we spotlight the best sellers, revenue leaders, and coaches to unpack the stories and lessons that make up their success. In today's episode, I'm joined by Michelle Peach. If you take a look at Michelle's resume, you'll see an experienced revenue leader who loves taking early stage companies from growth to scale. And she's done it at Utest, Datadog, Drift, Dooley, and she's now helping other early stage companies build their go-to-market function as co-founder of Minolite Consulting. And when it comes to building revenue functions, Michelle has seen this story before, but what we don't see in her bio is how she actually overcomes challenges, uh, the same challenges that we all face, and we don't see those moments behind the outward success. And so if you're like me, you want to hear those stories. So welcome, Michelle. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, excited to, to talk with you today. Um, and first of all, congrats on going out on your own. I know when we first started speaking, you were with Dooley, and now you are um, involved in an exciting new venture. So want to recognize that. Thank you. Yeah, it's scary and exciting at the same time. So um, I look forward to seeing where we take this thing. And it's not, I mean, I have, I have played, dabbled my toe, I suppose, in that game and going out on your own, it is, uh, it is not comfortable and it takes a lot of courage to do so. And I think you realize really quickly the things mm -hmm. that you don't know or haven't done before. Uh, so I'd love for you to maybe unpack and, and give us a bit of the, I know it's only been a couple of months, but fill us in, where are you at with that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just give you a quick background. So my business partner, Nish, and I worked together at Drift where he was VP of customer success and I was VP of sales. Both of us have started early stage customer facing teams at every level of a startup, uh, basically our entire careers. So we've seen the story many times before and it's a grind when you're building early stage companies and the both of us kind of got tired of it. Right. And the, the hours of seven to seven with both of us have small children and just the, the weight of the pressure of just the unknowns of building a startup um, weighs on you. So we said, let's do our own thing. We talked about this for like a year and the time came this past summer when he said, I'm going on my own. Will you work with me? And at that time I was still at Dooley. So I said, I can't, I can't balance the two. <laughs> it's, you know, and building a startup and then building your own startup at the same time is difficult. So um, we did that. We started, we kicked it off lab Labor Day or the first week of September here. And it's extremely uncomfortable doing things that you're not used to doing. So for me, I personally hated networking. Posting on LinkedIn gives me so much anxiety. Responding to individuals that I don't know who they are, but they're interested in speaking. And that was those were things that I just never cared to do because I was just more in panic mode, um, more specifically posting on LinkedIn. And at Dooley, they always asked me to post and eventually they hired a ghostwriter to do all of my posting on LinkedIn. That's a little secret. The last post that I've posted over the last year, it was not me <laughs> um, because I the idea of actually hitting post literally put me in a panic mode because I always thought maybe I, no one's going to like this. People might make mean comments or just think it's stupid. Anyways, realize very quickly that you need to network and you need to do that. You need to really put yourself in that uncomfortable position in order to be successful. So over the last few weeks, we have put ourselves out there. We've 
gotten very uncomfortable going to networking events, taking all of the calls. And it's really starting to pay off. Um, you know, we're starting to see very early success early on, but a lot of learnings, a lot of learnings of just getting out there and getting uncomfortable. Would most people be surprised to know that about you? That networking, putting yourself out there, speaking to new people in that way, that that's a, a bit of a fear inducer? So if you're close to me, you know that. But when you see me in a networking situation or, you know, out at an event, you wouldn't know that at all. And I had a friend say to me, well, you're always on LinkedIn. I said, that's actually, that's not me. I actually hate posting on LinkedIn. And they said, well, you never know it because you're always posting. And I said, I, I just, I can't, someone else is doing that for me because I knew, we knew that I needed to do it from a brand perspective at Dooley. And um, it's, it was a little shocking for most people to realize that. Because if you see me in person, you would never know that. But I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert when it comes to the sales aspect and interacting with others. But I can turn it on when I need to. I, I share that. I have that innate fear, I think, of putting an idea out there. Even though mm-hmm. it's something that I believe I'd be very confident in speaking with you know, someone live about it. Uh, putting myself out there in, you know, the public sphere, there is something that's so fear inducing and intimidating about that and that it's there forever. Yep, absolutely. I think it's because when I was starting my sales career in sales management, LinkedIn really wasn't a thing up until recently. And I hired a ton of reps who were all over LinkedIn and posting every single day. And I would argue with them, how much time are you spending on LinkedIn? But they were getting leads and they were generating awareness. It took me a long time to actually realize the benefit of putting yourself out there and what it does for your own personal brand, but also the business you're you're trying to build, whether it's for a company or yourself, you have, you have to get over the fear. Yeah. And you don't have the ghostwriter anymore, right? No, it's me. No, but I, I send, I send the post to my business partner and it takes me about four hours after he says, just do it to actually hit post. It's something I'm still working on every single day. (laughs) Like this week, for example, I said, I don't know if I can do it. Just my anxiety levels just was too high after the last post. (laughs) So we'll see. (laughs) So if you could rewind the clock though, and go back to Dooley, would you rehire that ghostwriter or would you push yourself to do it the way you are now? It's different. It's a, that's a great question. I would probably still use a ghostwriter to be honest with you Um, more because it's time consuming. And when you're at, you know, you have specific numbers that you have to hit and you're managing a team of people that are relying on you to be successful. For me personally, the time it takes to actually sit down and write, and then the impact it has on the anxiety, like the panic, it wouldn't be fair. It would take me a long time to actually like think about that. So I'd rather put my focus on my team and hitting revenue targets. Did the ghostwriter nail you though and your perspective? No, not all the time. So there were there were a few posts that I just said this isn't me. I'm not I can't post this. Um some of them with, you know, pictures of myself. I said I don't want anything to do with a giant picture of me on LinkedIn. And also that's not how I write or or talk. So we had external ghostwriter and an internal one, and it took a little bit of time for them to figure out my writing style and the way I, how casual I am in speaking. Yeah, it seems like the, you know, the focus or the comfortability um, on focusing on your internal team, let's just get the job done. There seems to be this uh, logical and um 
I don't know, like connectedness to the people that are real in your life. And LinkedIn feels like maybe it's, it's not that. And there's, yeah. But then at the same time, if you are needing to connect with someone that it being you and your voice and you Mm -hmm. actually building real relationships out of that, I'm, yeah, my mind is blown around how that can happen through a third party. Yeah. It's actually pretty common, but now that I'm on my own, I've been trying to focus more on adding value in my posts. Hopefully someone takes something out of it as opposed to just doing it for a company to build, build more brand awareness. That isn't something that is natural to me, but some of the stuff that I have posted recently or the advice that I'm giving on panels and podcasts that I do, that's me really thinking about how can I add value to the listeners and what nuggets can they take away to impact their life in a better, you know, positive light, as opposed to just writing it something generic on, on a LinkedIn post. For example, I actually posted about this, how I, I absolutely hate posting on LinkedIn and the support was unbelievable. And that meant a lot. That's awesome. I, I saw that post and, and gave it a like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, yeah. I feel this. <laughs> um, so I'm curious about your, um, you know, going back into this, this fear, um, what is your self-talk sounding like, you know, as that anxiety starts to ramp up and you think about, oh gosh, like, can I actually hit post on this? Yeah. So I have, um, it's a pretty bad tactic if you ask the influencers, but I close LinkedIn for like days after I post and that's not the best thing because you're supposed to go and respond. Um, but for me, it take, it took me a really long time to, to build this mental state of it is what it is. And you really can't, you can't care so much about what others think because at the end of the day, you move on. There's going to be another challenge. There's going to be something else tomorrow the next week that this post, no one actually cares about, or, you know, this conversation may not necessarily go your way, but you can't let it sit there. You have to just move on. So that is my thing is really identifying things that matter the most to me and things that I know that I can actually control and have a direct impact on. And if I can't, then I, I just, I move on. So there's a, I think a, or what I'm hearing in that it's almost recognizing that how big you think you are and how much influence or space you take up in other people's worlds is mm-hmm. actually not that big. And it's not what that big. like, yeah, a, this big thing for you is barely a blip for them and having a bit of that, you know, like staring at earth from space kind of feel. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I think for me, it's, being uncomfortable is like the new normal for me, but I've always steered towards being comfortable and like sticking with my own circle and the people that I know, and I'm comfortable with having these networking conversations with, and, um, you know, having my friends, like my posts, just as that, I know that they're going to be there to support me. So for me, it's checking off a box that I've challenged myself to do. And that accomplishment is, is good for me. Right. So every week I have, I've set a goal of posting at least once on LinkedIn. I've set other goals, um, outside of just LinkedIn, just work wise, two networking calls, you know, one podcast or, um, certain things like on a personal side, like put your summer clothes away. And those are things that I line up every single week and I check them off 
whether I, it's something I don't want to do. And as soon as I check it off, I, you feel more accomplished. So setting my focus areas on those specific things that I know I can control, whether the outcome is what I want or don't want, I feel like I've achieved something. Yeah. So, uh, you can control the inputs and Mm -hmm. yet you can't control the outputs. Like, just like you can control, you know, what you say or how you act, but you can't control how others respond. So there's yeah, some freedom or some letting go there that needs Mm -hmm. to, to happen. And like you said, the more you do it, the more it is, um, it it feels easier. It's like a cold plunge. Um, you know, the more exposure you have to something, the, the more, you know, there's a habit there, there's comfort, comfortability within the discomfort. You can handle that hard better. Yep. Absolutely. I'm very routine. I'm very, like I stick to the same habits. So that for me gets me out of that mindset of this is, you're going to suck at this, or you're going to fail at this, or you might not, you might not like the outcome of this. But at the end of the day, I always try to circle back to those things that I know I'm working towards those goals, those, those milestones and those routines that help me get there. Sure. Something's not going to go my way, but, um, at the end of the day, you can look back at the week that you had and look back at what you accomplished and achieved and feel good about yourself. Because if you let one little thing, you know, one bad comment or one bad sales call, you spiral, you can spiral and then you go down a dark hole and it's okay to do that. I think you just have to find the mechanisms that are best suited for you to help you get out of that dark hole, but you have to have them, whether it's, um, taking a walk, getting on the Peloton. I say the Peloton just stares at me every single day, like, come yeah. on, get it, gotta do it. Um, or little things to just, you know, give yourself a break to go on Instagram for 10 minutes, but like that just to clear your mind but then go back into that routine and habit that you have that, you know, that you're successful at. Mm-hmm. I think you know, recognizing that there's not, um, there's not something wrong with you when that happens. You know, we all have such a, a high standard. I think that we hold ourselves to and mm-hmm. ourself, it's almost um, the, how, how quickly we bounce back or our resiliency within it is the, the defining factor because everyone mm-hmm. has it. So yep. what are your tools and tactics that center you again, bring you back into that uh, confident state where you can make mistakes? There's it's, it's everything is an iteration. What I thought today, sure, I might look back five days you know, later and go, eh, that wasn't my best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's okay to have mistakes. It's okay to have those bad days early on in my sales career. It would just rattle me for days. Um even when I was a sales rep and a sales leader early on, something would throw me off. And it was typically something I couldn't control. So I always ask myself, is this in your control or out of your control? If it's out of your control, then you need to identify ways to move on. And everyone's different. So for me, it is it is actually working out. I like to get on the Peloton and that clears my head. We're taking my dog for a walk. Um, and when I'm out, it's usually when I'm alone, as you know, with two kids, you really can't, that, that will erase everything, but it still sits on you. You have to identify things that will help you move on. And there's this rule that I, I figured out it was probably when I was at drift because it was pretty hectic scaling. And there were a lot of things that were out of your control at that time. And I had to realize that if it still bothers me in a few days, and I probably need to identify a way to fix it 
But at the end of the day, tomorrow's a new day. So if it's not bothering me tomorrow, I'm going to move on. Um, and I always told my reps that too, you know, we would roll out a new comp plan or new territories and territories and everyone freak out. But if you, if it's really impacting you today, and if you think it's going to impact you in two weeks, let's talk about it. But um, at the end of the day, guess what? Something else is going to bother you probably at the end of this week. Then we'll have to tackle that. So only focus on the things that you can control. So with that, it's putting those, those guidelines in front of me. So I have a to-do list every single day and checking it off and keeping my focus there. And if at any given point I steer away from that focus, I have to go back to my to-do list because I'm, that's how I deal with it. I check everything off. And my business partner and I, we have it in a Google doc and we check everything off that we're supposed to do. And that focus keeps me in line and keeps me in that confident and positive state. We'll be right back after this word from the Compete Network. Hey everyone, I'm Jason Oakley, co-host of Compared to What, a show where my friend Federico and I dive deep into the all-important tool in a product marketer's toolkit, the comparison page. We guide you through real-life examples from brands like Shopify and BigCommerce, Chromecast and Airtable, Asana, ClickUp, and more, taking a look at the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly along the way. So come watch Federico and myself on season one of Compared to What, only on the Compete Network. All right, back to the show. There's one thing that I learned a number of years ago that uh, was just a label for it. And it was this, you know, when I feel like I've, I've messed up or if I'm feeling like an imposter or there's like that one moment that I just keep dreaming about thinking about coming back to, um, I've just, it's rumination, right? And it's that, that downward spiral of rumination yep. and the shift from saying why to what. Mm-hmm. So I, when we, our self-talk can often be, you know, why did I do that? You know, why did I say that? Why did I, why did I, why, why, why? And we're there versus the shift into what? So, so what, you know, what could I do about this? What can I do next? What could I change? What could I, you know, atone for or amend what there's action there, which is really that anecdote to anxiety, I think, and rumination, right? Yeah. And with that, I think it's important to find a solid group of individuals that you can rely on from a mentor standpoint. So if I did ever get really stuck and lacking confidence or a couple of unknowns, I would go to my mentor and I would tell them the situation and ask, you know, what could I have done differently? Am I thinking about this the wrong way? And they'll give you, if they're a good mentor or a good friend, they'll give you real feedback and hopefully guide you in the right direction. But I can tell you nine times out of the 10, out of 10, it, you, it's not you and you are not doing something wrong. You probably did it the right way. And the the situation just didn't happen the way you expected because that other person will either validate or, or help coach you into a better situation. So find that individual that you can rely on, even just a sounding board you know, other people on the team that you trust uh, another person with outside of your organization that you can trust to just bounce ideas off of and get advice from really goes a long way. And, and really, um, I think again, it's, it's rooted in this belief, you know, we did the best we could with the information that we had, our intentions were good. If something Mm -hmm. didn't land properly out of that, we get to redo, do it again, try again, do something different. You know, it's not finite and stuck and fixed. 
Yes. Yeah. So that reminds me of a conversation I had with um, a previous VP of sales. And I always, you know, in sales, you always have this fear at any given point, I'm going to get let go. You know, I, I didn't hit my metrics. I didn't hit my quota this month. I'm going to get let go. So I mentioned that to my VP of sales. And he said, so what? Look at your resume. You can get another job tomorrow. Even if you don't, hit your quota and you want to get another job tomorrow, you can get another job tomorrow. There's always something out there for you. Don't think like that. Do not go in that dark hole. It happens. And that no one's ever said that to me the way he did. He was like, so what? And you always have this fear of, okay, I'm going to lose my job. And you, then you spiral, right? Because you had one bad week or you had a really bad demo and your CRO just happened to listen to it. And you're like, oh, here, here, I'm done. But there are so many other opportunities out there and that's why I think it's important to build the network and and have a mentor because it provides you with that comfort level of, yeah, you know what? I can, I can find something else. If this doesn't work out, it's good. Everything's good. You know, it is, it, it, it doesn't, it shouldn't have to end in like such a negative way. You're good. I love that. So what? And that's something that I feel like I, I say, not in those words, um, but I say with when I'm coaching sellers in particular, or just really anyone, um, it's when, when we start to get to that place and they start to say, and then, and then, and then, and I'm like, okay, great, play it out. Like, let's go down that road. What is mm-hmm. the absolute worst case scenario here? And we always yep. get to the end of the road and it usually, you know, they end up laughing because they realize, okay, so so what? <laughs> like it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not as bad as what we're thinking it is before we actually play that out. So I love that freedom in the, so what? Like, let's yep. see. So what? Just, it is what it is. Okay. So on that, so what? You left Dooley. Uh, you know, and I think current economic headwinds being what they are, this is a really uncertain time um, to be in early stage tech. I think there's a lot of folks out there that are having these feelings Mm-hmm. Um, real or, you know, unreal uh, in their heads of, I might lose my job. I might not be here. I might not make it. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your experience. Yeah, it was uh, really tough for me as the leader, knowing what was happening on the back end and trying to maintain a really positive light for the team, mm-hmm. even though we were struggling and it was pretty evident with the numbers and and what was happening. And the team had that fear, right? We're, we're probably going to lose our jobs because every other company at our stage just laid off, you know, 30% of their sales staff. So we initially tried to pivot the best we could to keep everyone. And the unfortunate thing was being at my level, we were having those real conversations about like forecasting and budget and cutting individuals. So we ended up cutting a majority of our um, sales team and about like 14, 16 people across the organization, me being one of them. It was fine for me because I knew it was happening and I understood the economics around it. But the hardest part was my team where they were blindsided and the messaging and the way that anyone at the situation can handle it is, is not easy. And that's something that some people don't realize that those are not easy decisions for companies to make. And it is okay. There's a lot of companies that are hiring. um, And if it does happen and you start to see the writing on the wall, start to, you know, put your resume together, respond to those people that have reached out those recruiters. I think that's a really important takeaway for some people that are comfortable 
they're hitting numbers or they're, you know, they're almost there. They're getting hit by recruiters and they're afraid of change. So they don't respond. Right. I know a lot of people who don't respond to recruiters. I have never really responded to a recruiter because I've been like, I'm good. I'm good here. I don't want to do that over again, but I think it's really important to actually respond to get your name out there, build out your resume, because if you start to see the writing on the wall, odds are something might happen, especially in this economic situation where we're seeing now more importantly at that early stage level. So it was difficult, but I knew that I wanted to start my own company. I knew that I was never going to be a VP of sales at an early stage startup again. I actually told Dooley that, that I, everyone knows that. So I was okay, but my team, most of them have, they bounced back within like a week or two. So it, it is a difficult thing to think about. It's, you know, it's upsetting for people, but at the end of the day, take a step back, identify what you want to do, work on that resume, reach out to the, your previous peers and, and start responding to those recruiters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of ties into what we were talking about at the beginning um, of the conversation around networking, that fear of networking, mm-hmm. that fear of putting yourself out there, building your personal brand. A lot of that is is proactive, right? And yep. set you up to be in a really good position to be resilient, you know, be it if you are still in your organization and wanting to, you know, sell and do well within it having a great brand is going to help you there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Organization, you know, willingly or unwillingly, same thing, you know, that, that community follows you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that um, these, it is really tough. And yet what I'm hearing and what you're sharing is that there's a lot of hope and a lot of, um, a lot of community. And, um, and I think the the bounce backward and within a week, I mean, that would probably shock a lot of people to think, that that was still, you know, the case still available, that there is still a break tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, a lot of my clients are hiring right now, sales, uh, BDRs. So, um, there's plenty out there, but I just suggest to take the time to respond and think about what you want to do next too. At any, you should always be challenging yourself. Like, where do you want to go next? What's your career progression look like, whether it's in your organization or going to a new company, um, where do you see yourself? And that's easier said than done, but where do you want to be? And it goes back to setting those goals in alignment with your own individual self and working towards that. I think that, you know, at least from what I've heard, because I've listened to a number of podcasts that you've done or, um, articles that have been written about you or that you've contributed to. And something that I've noticed in you or in your um, history seems to be this willingness to pivot or take risks or take a step back to be able to, you know, take a run forward or a leap forward. Um, You know, wondering if there's any nuggets in there from your mindset or even self-talk that might benefit others that are are listening and, and curious. Yeah. So when I, when I was at applause, uh, formerly you test, I was inside sales manager. I was super comfortable. I built the, the team there and had the opportunity to go to Datadog, but I was an inside sales manager for almost two and a half years. So I wasn't an individual contributor. I went to Datadog to be an AE and starting from the ground up, making my own cold calls, doing that. It was so hard. I thought, what was I thinking? Those first like three months, I'm like, I haven't done this in so long but I knew I could do it. And I knew that I wanted to move back into a management role relatively quickly. So 
I spoke to them about that in my interview process. So I let them know about my aspirations to build a team at, at the leadership level. So that was, they were already aware of that. So I think it's advocating for yourself really early on is important, but also identifying ways that you can show yourself in a positive light. So I want to be a top AE. If I'm the top AE, I also, I have data and a story to back my argument of like, okay, I'm now I'm ready. So always keeping that in the back of my mind, like I got this, this is so hard, but once I accomplish, you know, these first initial sales as an AE, again, um, that will feel really good. And with that, I'll have that story and I'll have those proof points. And then at the same time, start working with my team to make them successful. And then I did it again at Drift, which was crazy. Um, And I took a step down again. And I told them I want to be at the VP level eventually. So I'm, I advocated for myself very early on and I had, I had to navigate many different challenges. And by doing so, I knew that at the end of the day, I'd learn from those challenges. I'd have those accomplishments regardless of the situation on my resume. And I could tell that story and worked up to that VP level again. And I think it's really having confidence in yourself, which is easier said than done, but keeping your eye on the prize. So setting those goals and those milestones that you want to hit kept me going initially at drift starting with one team. Okay. Now I want another team and another team and sure. I didn't have the title at the time, but I was managing three teams. I had two directors reporting to me. Like those were the things that I wanted to work my work up to knowing that if it didn't work out, I could say, Hey, I was doing the VP job with two directors, four managers, 28 people reporting to me, but I ultimately got the VP role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, A, I think taking that step back, especially as you uh, transition uh, between companies can do so much in terms of building credibility and getting you uh, really close to what happens uh, or closer to that, you know, exact, um, you know, revenue touching the customer's place where you know how this company works, how we operate, you know, how we make money. That's one thing. But then I think the other thing that I heard in there is that this, you know, the beautiful uh, liminal state of being this learner and, you know, I'm whatever it is that I'm doing, there is going to be so much for me to um, figure out and relearn even some of the plays that worked somewhere else. They might not, that might not be the right playbook as I head into this new company and being open to that mm-hmm. uh, feels like the, you know, what's allowing you to step back and, you know, when we when you think about golf or our other things, it's that backswing that actually generates your momentum and sets you up to be able to drive yeah. forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You see VPs coming in who don't get their hands dirty. They don't listen to calls. They don't join calls. You lose credibility with the team. And I've had the opportunity to actually start with most of my team too. So I'm on the calls and making those, those first initial sales calls. So I'm put that's why the discovery process and the sales process uh, was successful because I was in their seat and I, not a lot of people at the VP or management level want to do that because they're at that level. They think I'm too good for it, but your team trusts you more knowing that you've been through the trenches with them. You've been on the calls, you've been turned down, you've gone through the discovery. And like you said, every company is different. Every playbook is completely different. So I had initially went into do a drift thinking, okay, I'm going to roll out the data dog situation that I did. And it was totally different. I had to learn. I relearning again, a lot of different challenges. 
you know, different profiles of individuals we're selling to. So that goes a long way with the team that you're working with and also the executive team that you're working with. Um, if you really set yourself aside. And I think, um, you know, as you do that, you also learn because at least in my experience, um, selling doesn't stay the same. You know, the tools no. that you use, the approach, the the tone, the type of discovery that like you're, we are constantly reinventing that wheel. Um, and so staying close to it that way, A, it's fun. Um, and, you know, and you have the ability to learn. Um, but B, I think there's this, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's like, this is maybe what wisdom is, but you, you know, you relearn and you, you pick up on all these new, these things that are new in this organization um, that you're now in, but you're also bringing forward all of that wisdom that you have from previous um, cycles and organizations and processes. And it's that, it's the beauty, I think, in, in, in that, what is that, the pivot point or the, yep. yeah, it's, yeah. it's that because, you know, for example, like in the economy that we're in today, a lot of the sellers that, that we're working with, they haven't, you know, sold or worked through, you know, the housing crisis or even, you know, early stages of COVID, um, yep. let alone, you know, dot-com uh, bubble burst. So there's these natural cycles in the economy that folks that have been doing this a while longer, if they can get close to those teams, there's so much magic, I think, there in, in terms of learning. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it goes back to, making sure whoever you're working with and doing the due diligence in the interview process, are you going to learn from these, these people who are you going to be reporting to? Have they seen the story before? How can they level you up? What's their coaching style? So for example, I've gone through a recession before my first job was at EMC in 2008 where they let go 5,000 people. So I've seen that story and had to restart over again. And, And I was right out of college. I had no idea no clue what was happening. And that was my first sales job. And I thought, is this even for me? And I ended up at landing at the the perfect startup where these individuals at the C-level were willing to sit down and coach me and spend time with me and set me up for success, even though there were only 10 of us, right? So that meant a lot. And during that, you know, 2008 wave, that was, um, pretty scary for most people. So making sure that whoever you're working with and the, the team that you're working on, they're a, a solid community there that are willing to roll up their sleeves and help coach and make sure you're successful and provide guidance. So winning as women, obviously being the, the title of the show, uh, winning though is really a subjective term. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, at least for me, the, the definition of winning in my life can, and can definitely shift as, as I change uh, and evolve as a person. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, what the currency is that you're currently using to measure winning uh, in your life today. It's so funny. You asked that because um, a lot of men uh, that reported to me asked, have asked me, Hey, when you became a mom, how did your sales career or management style change? And winning for me is different than it was before being a mom because now I have different sets of goals and ambitions that aren't necessarily tied to me. They're tied to my family. And my success is now driven because of them. And before it was like, just crush my quota so I can, you know, go to Bora Bora. But now it's, I want to show my boys that I can be a pretty badass mom and and very successful businesswoman as well. So that's winning to me. I want them to look up to me as, hey, my mom 
is is pretty legit at what she does because it's usually, you know, dad or the males and having two boys, I think it's really important for them to see mom crushing it as well. So that's, that's winning for me in that sense, but the small little things that I can check off, I, I set quarterly and yearly goals and those are, you know, personal and financial and professional. So I think that's really important too. And obviously I'm, I'm driven by hitting targets and revenue, but I take another step back is great. So you hit those targets. Now what, like, what are you going to do with that? And it's certain things that always tie back to my, my boys. Well, you totally are badass. And uh, as a mom of of two little boys, the exact same age, uh, two and four, I think that's such a, um, at least for me, such a a noble aspiration that I, I I feel like I share as well. So thank you. That's great. And uh, wondering too, if, if there's a, a great place, I know uh, we don't have a ghostwriter anymore. So if people <laughs> want to reach out to you on LinkedIn, chat with you directly, um, where can they find you? Yeah, LinkedIn. I'm responding to LinkedIn now. So <laughs> feel free. I'm happy to um, hop on a Zoom or, you know, just chat. And uh, for those uh, of you who are curious, we are, we've done, uh, our first episode is a two-part series. Um, Every episode will be as well. So um, Michelle and I will be back in uh, two weeks and we'll be doing a Q&A session where we get to uh, answer any questions that come up from the community or uh, follow any of our own, I think, curiosities. I think the beauty of this is that we also get to uh, rethink and and re-answer and change our minds on even some of the things that we shared as as new data presents itself. Um, So yeah, engage with us and uh, submit any questions to the Compete Network where the episode will be posted. And we look forward to, yeah, in getting into this uh, again in a little bit deeper in a couple of weeks. Great, looking forward to it. All right, thanks, Michelle.